0: If you have your Bibles with you, I'd invite you to grab them. Turn with me uh, this morning to John chapter 8. We're in the middle of John chapter 8 as we continue our study of the life and ministry of Jesus. If you don't have a Bible and you want to follow along, we got some Bibles on the back cart. Please take one. Uh, We've made a few slight changes. If you're used to grabbing a bulletin and you're used to having it have certain things. You don't need a bulletin. Everything will be up here that you need. But some of you may have grabbed a bulletin and we've made some changes to kind of save some paper. And, and so there are things that are in there that weren't in there. There are things that usually are in there that aren't in there. And I think maybe the passage is not in there. Is that right? The passage is not in your bulletin anymore. And so you either have to look up here or you just have to listen real closely or you have to grab a Bible of your own or off the back cart So John chapter 8, for many weeks now, a few months, we've been studying through the gospel of John. If you're visiting with us, we're just picking up where we left off last week and uh, working through the next passage, seeking to know our Savior, seeking to understand more His work for us here on earth. Just to remind you of where we are in the life of Jesus, for some time, Jesus has kind of flown under the radar, so to speak. He's been keeping His claims and His acts those acts that verify His claims, really for those who were closest to Him. He did that for a time. But that has all changed now, right? Jesus is in Jerusalem. Uh, He's been there for some time now as we've worked our way up through chapter 7 and into chapter 8. Jesus is now in Jerusalem and He's there along with thousands of other first century Jews who are celebrating one of the three primary feasts of the Jewish calendar. Remember what it was? The Feast of Booths. The Feast of Tabernacles. In last week's passage, we didn't make mention of it specifically. However, the week before, you'll remember those of you who are here two weeks ago, Jesus seized upon one of those ceremonies of the feast. Remember that? He seized upon the water ceremony to stand up and to say this, if anyone thirsts, Let him come to me and drink. And so there was all this context of what had happened in the life of these people, these original Jews, here at the Feast of Booze the week prior. Well, today... As we pick up where we left off last week, chapter 8, verse 12, we return to the very same context, right? That Feast of Booths context, and we'll talk more about that in just a moment. So listen as I read John chapter 8, verses 12 through 30. Uh, If you would, stand for the reading of God's Word. John chapter 8, verses 12 through 30. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisee said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I came from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself. And the father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught them in the temple. But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come You will die in your sins. So they said to him, Who are you? And Jesus said to them, Just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. And so Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. As He was saying these things, many believed in Him. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Please go ahead and be seated. This morning as we walk through this passage, might be hard as we just read it, like is there any cohesion to this passage? I hope to bring a little bit of cohesion uh, to what we just read as I draw out what I think are three necessary truths from this passage. Three things that I want us to hang our thoughts on as we unpack some of what John says here. And the first thing is this, into our darkness, Jesus shines into our darkness Jesus shines after 13 years of living in the northwest you think I'd be used to this but I was commenting the other day to someone I think it was Tarina how dark the mornings are these days right you get up at 6 a.m. and it's still you have to wait two hours before the sun comes up now things have changed a little bit this morning thankfully so came up a little bit quicker But of course, we all know here in the Northwest that it's only going to get worse, right? It's going to get darker and darker and darker. Pretty soon the workday will begin in the dark. The workday will end in the dark. Sorry to depress. (laughs) But these are the days of increasing darkness. Of course, that statement is not just an observation about sunrise and sunset, is it? It's a metaphor about the world. It's a metaphor about the days that we're living in. Jesus speaks of it here. For the first century, original hearers of John's Gospel, for those who were sitting there listening to Jesus that day, the Jews specifically, darkness for them was the Roman occupation and oppression of their people. Darkness for them was the paganism and brutality of the surrounding nations. Darkness was about the idolatry of those within Rome and those without Rome who refused to acknowledge the one true God. Yahweh, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. The Scriptures are full of this kind of language, right? The Jewish Scriptures. Psalm 82.5 They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. Proverbs 4.18 The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what they, over what they stumble. And it wasn't just a darkness out there, but it was a darkness... Up close in their own experience. Isaiah 59 9, therefore, justice is far from me, righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light, and behold, darkness. We hope for brightness, but behold, we walk in gloom. As we sit here this morning in 2023, is our experience any different? Of course, it is to some degree. We live in freedom here. We live in prosperity. We don't live under an oppressive government. But it's much the same, isn't it? We live amidst idolatry. We live amidst evil. That is not just out there, but is in here as well. Right? We in the West, we like to talk about the fact that we are enlightened. But we're not. Our reality is actually darkness. And so Paul will state plainly to the New Covenant church in Ephesus in Ephesians 6, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. The point is, and probably I didn't need to make this point, but I did anyway, is that they needed light. God's people needed light. Light. We sit here this morning and we need light. But we're here as God's people. I'm here as God's messenger to proclaim to you that into our darkness, Jesus shines. Remember Simeon's words as he held the newborn Christ? My eyes have seen your salvation. A light for revelation to the Gentiles well let's talk more about the context of John's account here and these words that Jesus speaks in verse 12 as I said earlier this is at the end of or during the the tail end of Probably right after the feast of Booze of Tabernacles, this week-long festival that the Jews celebrated every year, followed by an eighth day of celebration. And remember, the whole feast had this, this wilderness theme to it, right? As Israel remembered their wilderness wanderings, the place between uh the the, the slavery of Egypt and the promised. Land And Yahweh's faithfulness to them in those deserted, desert places. And so you remember what was composed of the Feast of Booze, right? Literal booze, right? Tents. God's people would set up these, these tents that they would live in as they remembered the shelter that God provided. And then we talked about a couple weeks ago the water ceremony that celebrated God's provision of water miraculously in the, of the desert, in the middle of the desert. And then, also as part of this feast, was the celebration of light. You see, every night, four huge lamps were lit. And when I say huge, I mean huge. Like the kind of lamps that you had to put a ladder up to them so the priests could climb them and refill them with oil. Like huge lamps, huge candelabras. And they were lit every night in the temple complex. And they they would light up that part of the temple. And not just that part of the temple, which technically they were in the court of women, that was the place where they were in the temple complex. But it would light up that whole area of Jerusalem, it would just become illumined by light. And it would be accompanied by dancing and, and music and, and celebration. Right? John actually makes a point of saying in verse 20 that this that Jesus spoke these words near the treasury. That's because that was near the court of women. That was near these lamps. And the reason for this light, this celebration or ceremony of light as part of the Feast of Tabernacles went back to Exodus 13. Exodus 13, 21, let me read it. And the Lord, Yahweh, went before them, this is in the wilderness, went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel By day and night. Now we're going to press into that image a little bit more in just a moment. But suffice it to say, the light ceremony as part of the feast of booze, as part of the feast of tabernacles, was a celebration of Yahweh's power and presence and protection and purity and ultimately His glory. Right? His glory. But here's the thing. As Jesus speaks these words the feast had likely ended. Just as the water ceremony was no more and he stands up and says I am the living water the lights had been ex- extinguished. You know that feeling when you take down the Christmas lights after the season of celebration and giving and family kind of depressing. We'll take that and multiply it a hundredfold. The light was gone. Celebration was over. And into this sadness, into this void, Jesus stands up and says in verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Those first two words he says are significant. I am. This is the second of seven I am statements that the Apostle John will give us from Jesus' mouth. The first one was I am the bread of life. We'll have many more as we continue our way through the book. They are declarations that very intentionally point back to Yahweh's self-revelation to Moses in Exodus chapter 3 where he says I am who I am. Do you see the picture? Do you, do you feel the context? In other words, on the heels of a celebration, remembering the glorious light and presence of Yahweh, Jesus says, I am the glory of Yahweh. I am the One that you are remembering. I am the One who can lead you through the darkness once more. I am the light that was promised. I am the glory of Yahweh. Isaiah 9, we'll hear more about that verse and that passage in the months, weeks to come. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. Hebrews 1, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. Jesus had even given His followers, His disciples, a glimpse of this earlier in His ministry on the mountain when He was transfigured before them and they saw a glimpse of His glory and light. You see, Jesus is saying here that he has come to be for his people all that Yahweh was and promised to be for the nation of Israel. To a people groping in the darkness in need of help, light has come, God has come. Into our darkness, Jesus shines. It's the first thing that I think we see from our passage this morning from Jesus' own lips. But I want to talk about that implica- the implications of that in a moment. But you can imagine before I do what a scandalous statement that was for him to say. It's immediately questioned in our passage by those who heard it. And that leads us to the second truth. Despite our objections, Jesus is. Despite our objections, Jesus is. Is You all know that identity is a big thing these days, right? We all have all sorts of ways to verify authoritatively that we are who we say we are, right? It used to be fingerprints and, and whatever accompanying documents you needed. Now it's, it's face scans and a million different passwords and pins that you have to write down because you can't remember them all. See, upon Jesus' declaration of his identity, the religious leaders of his day, they immediately questioned him. More than that, they legally challenge him. That's what's going on here. Jewish law required that at least two witnesses be available to press criminal cases. It was outlined in Deuteronomy 17. We spoke of it last week as the adulterous woman was presented to Jesus. Well, that, that requirement for two witnesses for a criminal case had, had kind of ballooned and extended to other areas as well of Jewish life. Now, here in this case, Jesus has the authority to make such a claim. He has authority to make all the claims that he's making. But they say, you need witnesses. Now here's the thing. Jesus is self-authenticating. He doesn't need to prove himself. His words and his actions speak for themselves. And he's no mere man. Talking about the testimony of men, this is Jesus speaking. Jesus, who is God himself. He doesn't need the testimony of men. He needs no witness. And yet, he stops He stoops to give a defense of his authority. Their hearts are really, they're too dense to receive what Jesus says here. But nevertheless, he uses it as an opportunity for their instruction. We could divide it into three sections real quick. Don't want to spend a lot of time on this. But firstly, Jesus speaks of the one who sent him in these verses. Jesus has said it before. He was on a mission. A mission from His Father who sent Him. Of course, that creates all kinds of confusion for them. Who is your Father? Joseph, we knew Him. No, Jesus is talking about the Heavenly Father. He knows where He came from. He knows what He was asked to do. And the Father bears witness to who Jesus was, substantiating His claims. How? Through what He's doing. Through all these miraculous works that He could only do. If the Father was allowing him to do them. So Jesus reminds these men of the one who sent. And he also reminds them, secondly, of his divine origin. Verse 23, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. Much to their confusion, but flowing from that first reality, Jesus states that he is a cosmic Christ, right? Their horizons are limited and earthly. And even more than that, their agenda is worldly. But Jesus is on a whole other plane. Jesus tells the Pharisees in verse 15 that they judge according to the flesh. That is, they judge in a worldly manner. They look at Jesus and and they don't see a Messiah that they want to see that they thought they were going to see that they would hope that they would see that they hope would come but jesus he's his agenda his purpose is driven by the one who sent him and he's thinking not simply on an earthly plane but on a spiritual heavenly plane So he speaks of the one who sent him. He speaks of his divine origin. And lastly, he speaks of his future. Verse 28, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I can do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. What's Jesus saying there? Jesus is saying that it is the cross. It's the voluntary surrender of his life and all that will flow from it that will be the definitive statement of his identity and his authority. And for all these reasons, Jesus shows that despite our objections, Jesus is. He is who He said He was. He proved it. And the Pharisees, they failed to see Him in their pride and in their inability to see their own sin. They reject Him. And so many in our world make the same mistake. C.S. Lewis, the author, of the narnia series of many other great books he wrote an essay years ago entitled god in the dock perhaps some of you have read it the title implies that rather than god judging us we the modern man just like the pharisees here we are the ones who are putting god on trial right the dock is that little box that you put you know put the put the person up in and we, and we put God up in that box, in the dock. And we make ourselves the judge. When we have no right to do that. I right? immediately thought of the words that God spoke to, to Job. Who is this that darkens my counsel? Without words and without knowledge. You see, at the end of the day, friends unbelief is not an intellectual issue is it it's it's a heart issue it's a pride issue and you can object until you're blue in the face but the reality is Jesus is he is who he said he was he is the Messiah he is God he is life and he came to save Not judge, not judge in the earthly sense, and yet judgment is coming, right? Jesus doesn't mince words about that here. We must be ready. And that brings us to the last truth and what it means for us. Live by his light and live. It's the simple takeaway for all of you listening. Live by His light and live. Jesus does, says here, one of the starkest, most jolting statements, right? He says it a few times. Verse 24, unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. Period. And we all know the world is dark, and if we're honest, that darkness resides in us. And the appearance of light then is dangerous if you're not ready for it. Right? We talked about this months ago at the beginning of the study when John mentioned that Jesus was the light. That wasn't from Jesus' own mouth. That was John's assessment as he introduced us to Jesus in chapter one. But we talked in that chapter about the power of the light, right? Light is powerful. It's not safe. If you're not ready for light, if you're not ready for sun on a summer day, you're gonna get burned. A few weeks back we had an eclipse. How many of you took a peek at the eclipse or tried to? And you hurt your eyes as a result. If you're not ready for Jesus, you will suffer. You will die in your sin. And on the flip side, the absence of light in our world is the end of life. Right? If we didn't have light, we'd all freeze. Plant life would die. Animals would therefore die. We would die. And the point is, Jesus says, live by My light or you'll be lost. No one comes to the Father except through Me. There's no third way. There's only two options. Either light or darkness. Believe and live. Don't believe and die in darkness. That is the humbling, sobering crux of the gospel call. And for we who know and love Jesus, the call to follow Him and all the blessings that follow are bound up, as one pastor called it, in the magnitude of this metaphor. And so I just want to close real briefly looking at this metaphor real quickly. As we set ourselves back in the context of the Feast of Booze, let's think for a moment about the importance of Jesus' words. Right? He has shown, he has proven that he is the glory of God that shines, the glory of God that shone in the wilderness. He will say from his own mouth, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so let's, let's tie those things together real briefly. Jesus is the way. Means Jesus is guidance right that was one of the primary purposes of the cloud in the wilderness wandering of god's people when it picked up and moved god's people picked up and moved with it where it went they went and the question we got to ask ourselves this morning is are we willing to go where jesus leads where he asks where he tells us to go not just to the green pastures not just to the still waters but to the valleys, to the unknowns, to the trials, to the risks, to the unpopular positions or uncomfortable places. Living by His light means following Him as the way. It also means He's the truth. The truth. Seeing things as they really are, right? Light exposes, it it reveals things that we might not otherwise see. There's so much confusion in the world about everything and about so many basic things that you think, how can we be confused about that? And yet, following Jesus, following the light, gives us this otherworldly standard that often flies in the face of conventional wisdom. We could go down a lot of different rabbit trails with this, but I think about one of my favorite phrases, the fact that we live in an enchanted world, right? A world of powers and principalities in this present darkness. We live by the Spirit and not by flesh. We make judgments not according to the the world, but according to the Word. And so following Jesus acknowledges the truth. It acknowledges these realities. It prays for and puts on the armor of God. So following the light means following the way, following the truth, knowing the truth, looking to the truth, and then finally the life. As I think about that burning column in the wilderness that God's people followed, I wonder what kind of heat was emanated. I don't know for a fact that there was heat emanated from that fire. Maybe it was a cold fire. Maybe it was a neutral fire. But I wonder if that heat provided some measure of warmth. On those cold desert evenings, I wonder about that cloud that followed. How, how big? What was the shadow that was cast by that cloud as Yahweh led his people in the wilderness? And, and how, how much did God's people find themselves in that shadow to protect them from the burning rays of the sun? See, Jesus is the glory of Yahweh, He is the life. And as I think about the constant presence of that pillar of fire and that cloud, reminding God's people that He was there, that He was for them, that He wouldn't leave them. Jesus is all of those things for us, His people. He is the light of life. He is the one who leads us in the way, who reveals the true state of things, and the one who brings joy in the journey. So following Him, living by His light is acknowledging He's the way, the truth, and the life. That's good news for people who walk in darkness. That light has come. That light is here. That light is coming again. God's people, that's what He reminds you of this morning. That's what He calls you to believe as you follow Him. That's what He invites you to call others to do the same. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for these truths of Your Word. We thank You for Your servant John and Your Son, our Lord Jesus, who spoke these words. As we wrestle with the darkness of our world, the brokenness of our world, as we get frustrated with the darkness and the brokenness of our own hearts, how we need to be reminded of the One who came, who shone, who proclaimed that He was the way, the truth, and the life, and who will come again in blazing glory. So much so that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. They'll be forced to. Lord Jesus, come quickly. And until that day as we travel through the wilderness as Your people, be our light. Be our shade, be our warmth, be our wisdom, be our reality. Oh, Father, take this word and press it in the lives of your people as you see fit, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.